Welcome to our Best Practices in Leadership series podcast. The title of today's session is Transition into Management. My name is Charles Rogel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Marketing for DecisionWise. I'll be moderating our podcast today. My guest is Matt Ride. How you doing, Charles? Matt is the Chief Operating Officer at DecisionWise. He holds a JD degree. He oversees our company's operations, as well as its finance, legal, administrative, and technology functions. Matt was a corporate attorney in his past life in Salt Lake City, Utah, where he was a shareholder at the law firm of Curtin McConkie. But before practicing law, Matt was an accountant and consultant with Deloitte, and he's worked with many startup companies in a variety of capacities. Matt is also co-authoring a new book currently titled The Contract with our CEO, Tracy Maylett. And Matt, is there anything else that I missed in that long description of your background? No, there? no. <laughs> well, you. I'm sure there's there's a lot other, of other things, but yeah, we won't go into them right stuff, now. Probably. Um, today, we're going to be talking about this topic of transitioning into management. And this is a um, uh, kind of a, one of a series in this uh, podcast that we'll be doing along this topic. Um, this first series is more about what it means to kind of become a manager from an individual contributor. We're also going to talk about um, uh, different topics that are important to new managers like communication or peer influence or adv- uh, being an advocate for the organization. So stay tuned for additional podcasts to learn more about those things. But really, this is the um, this uh, topic is really um, provides some really good information for new leaders who are wondering what did I just get myself into? What do I have to do now to be more effective than I was as an individual contributor role? And that leads to our first question, Matt, which is what is this difference between an individual contributor and a manager? Stress, <laughs> right? Uh, <you laughs> Hopefully, know, more money. <laughs> I was in uh, Florida probably three or four months ago meeting with two or three people that we coached who were right in this predicament. They were excellent individual contributors, and they had just been uh, promoted to be managers, and all that had happened was their workload went from something that was semi-manageable to out of control. Hmm. And that's because if you don't handle this transition right, uh, you will be overwhelmed because you'll continue to act in your same role as what we call a super doer. Yeah. Because that's what happens. You're very good technically at what your job is. And so if someone says, hey, that person's good at their job, we'll make them a manager. Right. right. That's the next step that we sort of assume. And so now they're continuing to do that role, plus they have managerial responsibilities, and so they're completely overwhelmed. Well, and many, and many times an individual contributor feels that if they are the best at their job, they're the next in line to get right. promoted, right? So if they can, if they can produce the most they'll get the manager position. That's right. And it, it is true that if, if you're good at your job, you, you probably have some innate qualities, some traits that are going to help you through, and maybe that's a good enough reason to promote you. One of the problems with being an individual contributor, though, is you're, you're solely responsible for your work. Yeah. When you become a manager, the cons- the, there's a paradigm shift, and you now become responsible for working through others. And that's really difficult. More difficult than I ever I thought it would be when I when I made the the change, and um, it just requires a different skill set. I I'm going to scare people a little bit, but I'm going to reference what's known as the Peter Principle, which is by Lawrence J. Peter, and he says that employees rise to the level of their incompetence, <laughs> and that's what that means is is we promote people based on where they're currently at. We don't think about how their skills will project into the position above them. Yeah. And I say that to try to give people 
a little bit of maybe to scare them into realizing that if they're going to succeed at the manager level or continue to be promoted, they have to invest in their personal development. They have to figure out how to make the transition. They need to do it well. They have to acquire a different skill set. Otherwise, you'll rise to the level of your incompetency. And so instead of getting getting the job done through your own actions, it's really making things happen through other people. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, that's a different paradigm. So let's talk about um, this topic that, that you like to, to um, share in this situation. That is the five P's of transitioning into management. Okay. So we just chose this because it was catchy, but there, <laughs> there are five P's. Uh, P is in the letter P. And the first is process. Um, you have to now understand and use group process skills. And the way a group interacts and the way a group uh, sticks to a process is different than what you're used to. And it doesn't mean that you should just go and fix all of the things that you were frustrated with when you, before you were promoted. Mm-hmm. It means you have to give uh, clear thought to the dynamics of the group and where the group needs to go collectively. So the first is process. The second P is peers. When you're promoted to uh, a manager level, you now have to integrate and rely on your peers more than you did before. You could just go do your work and shine. Mm -hmm. That was the only thing that was the way you were going to make it to the next level. But now you're relying on your peers. For example, you may need input from another manager group in order to have your people do the job effectively that they're tasked with. And so you've got to build um, an effective uh, alliance with your peers. And in, in our next series, we're going to talk about how to influence your peers in a in a, an appropriate way to get work done. So not only are you directing people below you, but you're now getting work done through influence at your peer level. And that's an important concept. And I've coached some people that have had difficulty with this, where they are managing a facility, for example, and they come to the meeting of all the facilities, and they're advocating for the special needs that they have at their own facility while ignoring or maybe... Um, uh, you know, not paying attention to other people's needs and working in a more collaborative way. So then you seem like the selfish person that's always kind of looking out for you and your team and not the organization objectives overall. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's a good example. The third P is people. You need to be able to communicate effectively and you have to foster trust and relationships. We have an excellent podcast on trust by our colleague Brad Taylor, and I would reference that, that anybody who wants to look at that as a good, a good podcast to listen to. But again, you no longer need to be, be proficient at technical skills. You're now in the business of people, yeah. and you've got to get good at communicating effectively with the people that you manage, with your peers, and now upward up the line in order to give the information up the chain of command that's required. Um, the, f- the fourth one is paper. What we mean by that is you now have different processes than you did. A lot more reporting, probably. Yeah. A lot more paperwork. Um, you're tracking things rather than just going and doing your job. You're responsible for the paperwork associated with project management. Um, and that can be a daunting task and can be overwhelming. So you've got to figure out some organizational skills, really, and that's what we mean by paper. The last fi- uh, the last P, which is the fifth P, is politics. And that is the ability to gently, <laughs> um, persuasively, and um, with some skill, give and receive feedback. Yeah. Because you're now um, having to help people improve and, not, and correct a mistake, 
let them know when say something inappropriate has taken place, learn how to give positive feedback and to motivate. So the fifth one, politics. And that that may be the most challenging of the five Ps that we just went over. Yeah, and that one has a lot of negative connotations with it, but it's more about um, being not necessarily eloquent, but at least having the skills to work with people effectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as we, as we talk about transitioning to management, what are some of the maybe reasons or motivations that individuals have to become a manager in the first place? Um, I think it's natural that this is a sign that you're successful. Yeah. So your friends and your family sort of expect you to go to the next level and that that's assumed that it's a, it's a recognition that you're doing a good job. Uh, sometimes people are, are motivated by a career path, and this is part of that career path. They know that in order to be what they want to be, they've got to get into management because that's the entry way to, say, a higher leadership position that they really ultimately want. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's you're ready to do something different. You know, you're tired. You've done technical. You've you programmed. For example, you're a software developer. You've just done programming and programming. Now you're ready to manage a team, work more with projects, and it's just a new skill set, a new a new opportunity to challenge yourself. So um, that that's a reason. Uh, you you may want to fix the problems that you see around you. You everybody's sure when they're uh, <laughs> in, in that individual contributor role, right. if they could just become a manager, they have all of the answers. And so they want to get, they get in things and, done the right way. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and I think, I think there's just a general expectation that if you're worth your salt, you will rise up mm-hmm. the, um, the hierarchy within the organization that you're affiliated with. So I think those are some of the motivations. Um, there are others, but that those are probably some yeah, of the more. Yeah, I like the ones. one you know where you feel like uh, you see so many bad bosses, and you think you could do a much better job than that jerk, you know. And yeah. it's like, how'd that guy get promoted? You yeah. know, if he got promoted, I'm sure I could be a manager. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. So uh, let's talk about some of the myths about taking on a management role. Some of these things that people don't necessarily expect when they get promoted. Yeah, I've got nine of these to share with you, and they're kind of fun. Let's start with the first myth. Which is, and this is for for both the person being promoted to consider and also for those that are managers or leaders, if they're listening to this, Mm -hmm. to consider as they make decisions on on who should be promoted. Myth number one, one of the best ways to reward high performers is to promote them to managers. (laughs) I've seen that many times. This is that Peter principle is that we don't account for that they may not have the right skill set in the new position. Yeah. They're excellent in their current position, but they may not be good in their new position. And so the reality is often that promotion to management is, is, a, is a flawed method of rewarding good performance, right? In other words, the myth is, is that uh, the best way to reward is to promote somebody, and the reality is, is that promotion is not necessarily the best way to reward good performance. There well, might be other ways to do and that. And I've seen organizations do this where they're worried they might lose somebody because they're tired of the job that they're doing, and they've been you know, crying for a management position for a long time, but they're one of your best workers, so you got to keep them, so you give them a promotion to keep them. Well, well, and this is one of the troubles with the way uh, comp and benefits are mm-hmm. established within an organization. Sometimes the only way to justify yeah. a pay raise is to do a promotion. Mm-hmm. But maybe the pay raise is needed, but the promotion's not. Yeah. And so you have to think about decoupling sometimes promotion 
from pay increases and give people wider uh, latitude in deciding how to how to do pay yeah, increases without always coupling it with a promotion. Okay, let's go on to our second myth, which is success as an individual contributor qualifies you to be a great manager. What got you here will get you there, is the myth, right? <laughs> right. And the reality is the very skills that made you successful as an individual contributor are working against you as a manager. So let me repeat that. The very skills that made you great as an individual contributor may be working against you as a manager. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me give you an example. As an individual contributor, you get in, you get your work done. As a manager, you need to have schedule time within your or within your day to think about strategy, um, uh, Things like assessment of where you're at versus, you know, the the standard, the, the ideal versus where you're at doing a gap analysis. And that does not feel sometimes productive to people. Yeah. It feels like you're just sitting around. Yeah, you want to, like, clean out your inbox. Yeah. You know, you want to. Mm -hmm. And so you're so used to doing tasks that it's harder to get into the mode of realizing that you need time to think. Mm-hmm. And now you understand why sometimes when you look at your boss and say, that guy's not doing anything, he really was, he, he or she really was doing something. But uh, so that's, that's, that's the myth. Well, I think one there. problem that uh, comes up too is that some people are promoted with the expectation that they still will do their day job, but yet now they're a manager. And so then they're, it's compounded, right? They, they don't have the opportunity to, do, to be effective in either role. If you're going to say, I had, a, I had a person that I coached turn down a manager position. And they were shocked. They were floored by it. But she said, I know what you're going to do. You're going to give me the job, and you're going to ask me to do exactly what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so if you do take a manager role, you need to have a clarifying conversation and an aligning conversation with those above you saying, are we going to hire someone to replace me? Yeah. You know, making sure you understand and have talked about how long you're going to be expected to do both the individual contributor role and the new manager role. Good point. Yeah. All right. Third myth promotion to management is a methodical, well defined process. <laughs> no, promotion to management is typically a sudden single event. And the scope of responsibility is often ambiguous. Yeah, this is to your last point, huh? It's a panic move many times. It's like, oh, uh, someone's uh, all left. That'll so do. That yeah. person will do. <laughs> right. And so, um, I wish we could take time to promote people with with some thought and with some analysis, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. Sometimes it's very uh, haphazard at best. Uh, myth number four: the succession road is clear. There is, is a clear, smooth path from one uh, road to another, okay? So in other words, the succession, you, you, your pathway is completely clear. You don't mm -hmm. know where that, and that's, that's the farthest thing from truth. The reality is, is that um, new managers are not given a clear idea of what is expected of them in their new role. Yeah, and sometimes it might seem like it is, like, okay, I want to be the team lead. Or I'm going to, you know, take on this next uh, next grade or, or, or pay raise or, or increase in some way. And it's not. Maybe it's, it's, it's diagonal or it's sideways from where you were. Yeah. And how many times do you get promoted and then they're like, and, and uh, we'll, we'll take care of your, your pay increase in six months. Uh -huh. And then six months come around and the pay increase didn't happen. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. Myth number five, moving from an individual contributor to manager is a quick, intuitive, and relatively painless transition. <laughs> uh, 
okay, I really thought this. I really thought that I was skilled. It's kind of like when I when I became a parent. I thought I had all the skill sets to become a parent. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm an unmitigated disaster. I mean, you do not come equipped to become a parent. It's something learned yeah. and you work at it. And it's the same thing with management. You're just not automatically qualified to be a manager. You have to spend some time development. And that's why this, this podcast series, we're excited about this because we're going to try to give you some tools and a foundation to begin developing the managerial skills you'll need to be successful. Uh, number six, when you become a manager yourself, you'll develop your own effective management style pretty naturally. <laughs> and Go back to what works, you know? <laughs> the reality is, that's our myth. The reality is most new managers manage the way they have been managed and or react against the way they've been managed. Yeah, yeah. They all have had a bad manager or maybe there's a good manager they want to emulate, but they can't quite figure it out. Yeah. And so it, it, management is not something that we do a good job teaching how to do. It's sort of we assume that it's just going to come to us through osmosis, and that's the farthest thing from the truth. All right. Seven, most organizations have, a well-defined, ex- have well-defined expectations and rewards for their managers. The answer is wrong. Good management rarely gets defined, valued, or rewarded. It's an add-on job. Mm-hmm. So, and it's hard to say what is defined as good management within an organization. So that's another clarifying conversation to have as you take on a new role is what does success look like for me? Hmm. Well, you know, what do you, what is good management? What do you want from me? And you need to have those regular check-ins with you, the person that you report to. So you have a sense of what the, the goalposts are. And that's one of the reasons why we advocate three, six degree feedback so strongly, because you get a set of leadership competencies that you're being held accountable to. And you can see what a good manager is just by reading the definitions of those competencies. I agree. Those 13 competencies are really important. And if you, you can find those on our website, if you've worked for very long, you can pretty much, uh, intuitively know what it takes to manage well. <laughs> Okay. It's actually a skill set. It's a skill set that just doesn't come to you. You're not born with it. It's something that you have to learn and acquire and develop, and it, it comes through hard work. Number nine, most successful new managers have a few new skills they know they need to develop, meaning everybody's aware of their gaps, right? And so <laughs> they can just know what to fix. And the answer is, is people who are successful have a lot of blind spots, and they don't really recognize what are the stumbling blocks in front of them as they make the transition. So, Matt, you've convinced me not to become a manager now. <laughs> <laughs> if I would have known all this years ago. <laughs> well, you know what? If somebody out there is listening to this and says, you know what, I am not going to take a manager role, yeah. great. That's a good thing. It's okay to understand what you're good at. Um, my dad was an elementary school teacher, and uh, he often considered whether he wanted to go back and become a principal, and he, and he came to grips with the fact that he liked to be in the classroom, and he didn't want to manage 30-some-odd teachers every yeah. day. That's okay. Uh, others, though, really like to be with people. They enjoy that aspect of motivating, coaching, and uh, um, helping people achieve their best. And for those people, I would say, yeah, you should accept it, embrace it, and move forward into that. So understanding the reality of, of uh, transitioning into management now, um, the idea that it, it, this is more of a process rather than a one-time event where you're crowned manager and now you should know everything. Yeah. You, need, you should probably understand that this is a six-month to a year process. 
you should probably take the time to even delineate that in your mind, mm -hmm. what you think, where you're going to think you're going to be at at month three, month four, month five, and so on. And you need to, you need to have that. You might even share that with those that supervise you and you go through this transitional period and really the first say six months is really letting go. Okay. Letting go of pushing things off your desk was coaching a city manager the other day. And he talked about um, some changes they've been trying to get with their key directors. And he was talking about their chief of police. And he said, interestingly, he knows the chief of police is sort of capturing this training on what it means to be a manager because he'll go in and his chief of police desk is now clear. It's clean. <laughs> it wasn't like that before. And it wasn't like that before. And he says, what does that tell you? And I thought there for a moment, I thought it tells me that he is now focusing on strategy and the managerial skills as opposed to having actual projects on his desk. Mm -hmm. So you need to clear as soon as possible, clear off your desk, the individual contributor projects you still have remaining. You need to get make sure that someone's there to backfill this, the role that you just took. And you need to turn your attention towards what it means to manage people. And you begin the transition from tactics to strategy. Tactics are the things you individually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Strategy is the why we do those things, okay, and how you can help your people understand that. And then after that unfreezing period comes a gelling period where you're going to sort of get your feet underneath you. You're going to learn to be a better manager. You're going to kind of figure out. You'll learn all the mistakes. <laughs> mm -hmm, what it takes. And you go from being a subject matter expert, because that's what you are as an individual contributor, and you're, you're and then through the freezing, unfreezing period, you're going to go, you're going to be a, a, sub, a subject matter expert, say 90% of the time, and a manager 10% of the time. And pretty soon, when you're operating effectively, you'll retain 30% of what you do, maybe a subject matter expert helping your people, but 70% of what you're doing is management and leadership within your role. So, um, to kind of wrap this together, the, the um, the next topic is really about identifying action spheres, you know, where you control and influence others. And this is taken from Stephen Covey's research. Um, do you want to talk about how that is um, used as a new manager? Yeah. I can't um, overemphasize this concept enough, but the action spheres, if you imagine there are three spheres, okay, or three circles on a piece of paper. The largest is the the area over which you have concern, and then the next smallest sphere is the area over which you have influence, and the last sphere in the very middle of them is the area you actually have control. And what Dr. Covey teaches is that we spend a lot of time worrying about things that we that concern us, but that we don't have any real influence over, mm -hmm. or that we have no control over. And that's a big waste of time. And as a manager, don't get caught up in those things. Make sure you're prioritizing and staying within the sphere of action that is really going to get you the results you want. And that is the one over which you have control and then over the ones over which you have influence. But concern, you got to hear people out, but don't spend your time there because there's you're, you're, you're really working unfertile ground. It's not going to pay dividends. It's not going to give you what you need. Well, and sometimes that's the, um, you know, you get a mandate from corporate on a new policy or change that you need to now communicate to your employees, and you can't do anything to change it. So there's no point complaining about it or commiserating with your employees in some way. You have to kind of be now the voice of the corporation and deliver that message in an effective way that kind of rallies the troops mm -hmm. to, to get behind it. So I can see that happening a lot. 
Well, Matt, thank you very much for the, the presentation today. Um, this has definitely been uh, eye-opening for me, and I learned a lot of what I did wrong as a new manager <laughs> as well, coming through the ranks. But um, we look forward to having you join us on our next podcast. Uh, stay tuned for our series on new managers. And uh, Matt, again, thanks very much. Uh, again, thanks very much for your presentation. Yeah, it was fun. I look forward to the next one. Thanks. Thanks.